Thanks for listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Hey, don't miss an episode. Make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Maybe that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any number of others. If we're not on your favorite podcast app, let us know, and we'll see what we can do. And then once you do subscribe, please leave us a rating and maybe a comment. That'll help boost us and help other people see the great stories that we have to share coming out of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Moving into a spiritual dimension. A sense of wow and wonder. I'm kind of praying about what I'm supposed to do with my life. All of us are connected in archdiocese. I have no idea what a priest did during the day. We do take into account our Christian and Catholic values. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm Gabe Jones. Trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide our words, let's begin. If you've driven on Highway 70 in St. Louis, just a little north of the arch, no doubt you've seen those two towering steeples rising more than 200 feet in the air, flanking a beautiful Gothic church merely a couple blocks to the west of the highway. This is Most Holy Trinity Catholic Church. The parish itself was founded in 1848, but the current iconic church located in the Hyde Park neighborhood at the corner of 14th and Malincrot was dedicated 50 years later, in 1899, by Archbishop John Joseph Kane. It is the parish's third church building, and to say it is an impressive structure is an understatement. Inside, the soaring Gothic arches and tall columns instantly draw one's eyes skyward. Above the baldacchino, over the high altar, glistens a huge image of Christ crucified, embellished with gold leaf. This magnificent church originally boasted a third tower, in the center of its cruciform structure, but that was destroyed in a tornado decades ago. Its absence is imperceptible because of the grandeur of Roman Catholicism made manifest in every remaining square inch of the building. A parish history records the following. The effect of the newly complete church with its mass of steel, iron, and stone was one of pride. Its two towers, both 215 feet high, seem to be conscious of their height, of their strength, and of their power, to calm the storms and to quiet the conflict of the elements. The parishioners and all who followed with interest the progress of the building were convinced that all the human knowledge, skill, and art could make up at the time were used in order to make this new church one of the most permanent and lasting structures of its kind in modern architecture. As prescribed by the rubrics for the cornerstone laying of a new church, the most reverend archbishop first went to the place where the new main altar was to be built, and there erected a beautiful blessed wooden cross. Thence he proceeded to the actual blessing of and laying of the cornerstone proper. In many dioceses, most Holy Trinity would be a cathedral. Here, it is but one of the numerous churches in St. Louis that helped the city earn the nickname Rome of the West. A century ago, this neighborhood was flush with large families of German immigrants. 
In fact, when the church's cornerstone was blessed, two sermons were preached, one in English, the other in German. The large church was built to accommodate huge numbers of those immigrant Catholics attending Mass on Sundays. For some context, in 1894, just a few years before the current church was dedicated, Archbishop Cain conferred the Sacrament of Confirmation for the first time in Most Holy Trinity. There were 148 confirmandi. Times have changed since the church was built. Today, the parish officially has just 125 registered parishioners, and several dozen of them attend Mass on any given Sunday. In 2016, Pastor Father Richard Creason was granted retirement, and the parish was assigned a parish life coordinator, Sister Janice Munir, a school sister of Notre Dame. We have a, a different model of leadership here. Uh, we were offered three choices when we didn't have a resident priest. And one was um, that we would have a parish administrator called the parish life coordinator. And then we would have a Sunday minister, a priest that would come every Sunday. And uh, so that's what we operate out of now. Most Holy Trinity has a school which is still open, in order to provide better educational opportunities to families in the area, though it's run by the Archdiocese of St. Louis, not the parish. And in fact, none of the current students are parishioners. But the church remains a pillar of the community. It serves as a bright spot in a neighborhood beleaguered by crime and poverty. And so, in 2018, for the first time in 20 years, this small parish community banded together to host a fish fry, the first six Fridays of Lent, complete with fried catfish and sauce and bread from eateries on the hill. We feel like our mission here is to be an outreach to the neighborhood. And the neighborhood has a lot of rehab going on, so there's a lot of potential coming up. So that's why we want to do it as, as an outreach and also as a fundraiser. Uh, because we're small, like any parishioners, and our buildings are old, the, the maintenance is constant. So, so our bills are constant. So we hope that, that this will help towards that. Running a fish fry is no small task, even at Most Holy Trinity, where they served a few hundred meals each Friday of Lent, compared to the few thousand meals which would be served at larger parish fish fries in St. Louis. A large parish fish fry requires more than 100 volunteers, which is often only a small percentage of the parish's congregation. Because there are only about 80 regular attendees at Most Holy Trinity on any given Sunday, just about everyone from the parish who is able to pitches in somehow. That includes Ank Ankin and his wife. They're relatively new to the parish, only having started attending regularly in the past few years. Ank had just slid a tray of catfish into a warmer when I stopped him in the kitchen. I've never worked a fish fry before, so I had no idea and I thought it was a humongous undertaking. Um, but we worked last week, it was the first time we'd done it. Um, and I was amazed at how simple it could be to put together and to work. Not that it's not a lot of work, but it wasn't as overwhelming as I thought it would be. Another volunteer, Maddie Patterson, joined the parish with her husband because of former Most Holy Trinity pastor, Father Creason, who also married them. Maddie was at the parish 20 years ago the last time they held a fish fry. Um, at that time, we just wanted to get more of uh, the community involved, so we thought that would be a good way to get people to come to the parish. So therefore, we um, started the fish fry. It was a lot different than what it is now. Now we have so much 
more involvement, so much, so many more parishioners that are involved. But you know, we're having a great time. And 20 years ago, of course, we used the um, the burners outside. So sometimes we had to kind of deal with the weather. But now, in today's technology, we're using all of the fryers inside. What are you doing this year with the fish fry? Um, this year, I'm just taking orders, delivering orders, um, running to the store when we run out of things, and helping serve, and just being around, enjoying everyone coming, everyone working together, the parish working together, the number of people we have from the parish working. So it's, it's really great. And the most things, Father Creason came today, so that was really a big surprise, and that was really nice. Doing something like a fish fry for the first time can be daunting. But the members of this tight-knit community used the connections they had to promote the fish fry in the neighborhood, even thinking strategically about how it would fit in with the calendar of other local events. Uh, Christy Shaffley from uh, Fort Hotel, she sent our flyer to all the businesses that they contact. Fort Hotel has a great big thing at Halloween, and all the businesses come there to eat. It's their fundraiser. And then Jim Green at Duke Manufacturing has something in um, August. It's an outside barbecue, and all of the people come to that. And so we figured we would get in between and do this. So, so the people on Broadway are used to going to each other's things. So that it makes sort of a community in, down there. Their hard work paid off, and the parish was thrilled by the response of many hundreds of hungry people coming through their doors during Lent. It's been outstanding. The school right now has 140 kids, so those parents come over, and then the neighborhood outreach. And we have tons of businesses down on Broadway, tons of them, and so many of them have come for lunch. We've had a lot of support from the businesses. We've had a lot of support from parishioners, a lot of support from the community. People are coming from everywhere. I guess that we had something in the paper on Wednesday. So last week was a great week and this week is even much better. We have a long history as a church and so people come back here who have gone to school here, who've been married here, baptized here. So they come back because of their association. That's why Karen Osborne attended a February fish fry. She knows one of the parishioners but her connections run much deeper. My ancestors came to this area from Germany and settled and went to church here. Um, and so it intrigued me to come down here. And actually today, uh, the sister, she let me into the church. or in, I saw the church and then let me in to the um, office and I got to see the book of my marriage of my ancestor, Caspar Epstorst, in 1862. Um, so I got to actually hold the book and got a picture of myself holding the book. It was really neat. So my, I just seem like I have some pull down here for some reason, some way. I just feel like I want to be down here for whatever reason. I guess it's because of my ancestors. So pretty neat. Karen isn't the only example. In the midst of the dinnertime rush, Maddie Patterson saw an old friend, and they shared a hug. know each other. What's the, what's the yeah, story? Back, she was a big helper back in 20 years ago. Oh, yeah? yeah. Yes, Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> Encouraging people to come back is a theme around Most Holy Trinity. The parish hosted the first mass mob in St. Louis, which is a movement led by lay Catholics that organizes special masses on particular Sundays in historic, 
and often sparsely attended churches. We, we try to bring back uh, the people that have been a part of the parish. So we have a homecoming in October. Uh, our feast day in July, depending when Easter is, uh, we have mass in the park, of which everyone, we try to get everyone to be invited there. It feels like step one is to get people to come into the building. And then step two, you know, we hope to invite them further into the building or into the church. When it comes to getting people to come in, the parish has a built-in asset in the beauty of the church building, which Ank likens to anything in Europe. We try to travel once a year, and so we've been to a lot of big churches in Europe, and that's the feel that you get when you go in. I mean, you kind of get it from the outside, but you really feel it inside, too. And I, I think our windows are prettier than, than a lot of churches that we've been in over there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful church and, and has a neat legacy. And so it's comparable to anything you would find in Europe. Yes. It has the same sort of feel. Yes, yes, very much so. If the architecture doesn't bring you to Most Holy Trinity, Sister Janice says the warmth of the people in the parish community should. The people are very spiritual and they feel that the they feel their charism is really hospitality. So when anybody comes to our church, as soon as they walk in, they're greeted by someone. And so we want, to, we want that, that hospitality to go beyond our church doors to the neighborhood because we feel that's, that's what Jesus would have done, welcomed everyone, and that's, that's what we try to do. And feed them, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's what right. Part, right? <laughs> Jesus did and that once it. or twice. Yes, you did that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the parishioners are warm and inviting, and the church is beautiful. But it's hard to shake the feeling that the parish is just hanging on and hoping for better days ahead. They have reason to hope. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is building a new headquarters in North St. Louis, about a mile and a half away. That development could spur more progress in the area, which, as Sister Janice said, is already showing up in pockets. Only time will tell. For Mass Times or to learn more about the history of Most Holy Trinity, visit their website at mhtstl.org. And hopefully you won't have to wait another 20 years to enjoy their fish fry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review. They're on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram, under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's St. Louis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. Yeah.